Jesus seems to have a lot of encounters with Simon Peter. You know, an, an encounter is defined as kind of a chance happening, unexpected. But like I say, Jesus is continuing to have these encounters with Simon Peter. And it's not random because Jesus is doing it on purpose. And what Jesus is doing is revealing himself more and more to Peter until Peter gets it. Jesus is God. And right at that minute, when Peter grasps who Jesus is, then Jesus reveals the purpose that he's been leading up to. And it's something way better than Simon would ever hope for. And it's something that God wants for him. God's purpose. So we're looking at that. And we're picking it up in Luke 4, verse 38. It says, Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So we're picking up this account, and Jesus has just taught at the synagogue in Capernaum, and he's preaching the kingdom of God with power and authority. And this one guy that has an unclean spirit is screaming at him, and he says, be quiet, come out of him, and he's gone. I go, whoa. They're trying to figure out, who is this guy? But they also have another thought. I know somebody that this guy could heal. And so the report is spreading like Jesus is going viral right now. And then Jesus leaves the synagogue and he enters Simon's house. Now, Jesus already knows Simon. And you notice that Luke is calling him Simon on purpose. There's something that happens here. But a lot of this is about Simon. 
Now, we know from the Gospel of John that Andrew and John saw John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it says that Andrew found his brother Simon and brought him to see Jesus. And when Jesus saw Simon, he says, You're Simon, son of John, but you shall be called Kephas, which is translated Peter. So the very first time Jesus meets Simon, he knows exactly who he is. He doesn't need Andrew to introduce him, and he tells him he's going to have a new name. We're going to call you Kephas. That's how you pronounce it, by the way. It's a Greek word, and it means Peter. Can you kill the volume on that thing and make me happy? Thank you. So, this is about a year later, after that first encounter. A year later. And Jesus is back in Capernaum. And he's at Simon's synagogue. So, Simon saw Jesus teach. And he's thrown off by internet messages coming in on a phone. I don't think Jesus ever lost his place. Now, he's seen Jesus cast the demon out of that phone. And then he comes to Simon's house. Now, imagine Jesus comes to your house. And Simon is married at this point. And he's got a mother-in-law, and she's sick. High fever. And they say, hey, Jesus, could you do something about it? Would it be too much trouble? And no, it's not. He rebukes the fever. This is something only God can do. Fever? Shouldn't be there. Get out of there. Boom. She's up. No recuperation time. She is 100%. So imagine Jesus being in your house, and he takes care of people that you love, people you're helpless to take care of. But he does that. And you know, Peter's mother-in-law is not too small for him to take care of. Kind of like, you know, you don't really meet the requirements. I only heal important things. He's telling us that, that everybody is important to him. And then the sun is going down. And what that means is, this is the start of a new day. The Hebrew day begins at twilight. Now, this is the signal for everybody to bring their sick to Simon's door because it's not the Sabbath anymore. Now you can carry a burden. 
So they've got their sick relatives and friends, and they bring them all to Simon's door. And we only get that in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. It says, the whole city was gathered at the door. And so here's Jesus now healing all these people right there at Simon's door. And Simon can watch all this again and again and again. And it's getting very late. But can you imagine watching Jesus heal anybody? No human being on earth could touch these diseases. Or say to some screaming demon, be quiet. Now come out of it. Can you imagine Simon watching this? The fascination? Wow. How could you ever get tired of seeing this? And yet, it is late. And he's beat, and so is everybody else. So everybody goes to bed. But imagine after a, a long night of praying for people, and he had a, he had a whole packed day as well. Synagogue, healing, a little bit of sleep, but then Jesus gets up before anybody else, and he goes out and finds a place to be by himself. Now, this is how Jesus lives his life. It is a habit. It is a fixed part of who he is that Jesus makes time to seek God. And it's not negotiable. It's not something he would say, oh, well, gosh, tough night. My head is pounding. <laughs> you know, I, I could just use a few more hours. He doesn't ever do that because he would probably never seek God that way. There's always going to be something. So whether he's had a full night's sleep, whether he's got a headache, whatever, he gets up and he gets lost where nobody can find him. So that means he gets up. How did he get up? No alarm clocks. But there's a scripture in Isaiah that says, he awakens me morning by morning. And he speaks to me as a disciple. And I'm positive that Jesus said, anytime you want, I'm here. God wakes him up. It's still dark. Jesus says, thank you. Thank you so much. And then he goes out and hides. Because this is a perfect perfect time for communion with God because everybody's asleep. Nobody's asking him to cast out a demon or heal this or do this, anything. No demands. It's quiet. So he doesn't have to feel bad saying no. So he's got all this time to spend with the Father. And he's just worshiping God and seeking him and praying and presenting himself to the Father. Now, people are going to wake up. They're going to eat breakfast. 
They're going to figure out what's going on. They're going to start looking for him. And some of these people got up early. Maybe they were too tired to do it the night before, but they thought, I'm going to sneak in early. And so they go to Simon's house. What do you want? Well, we want to see Jesus. Is he here? Just a sec. Well, he's not here. What do you mean? I don't know. He's not here. Where did he go? I don't know. Well, we got to find him. Do you think he could have gotten far? I don't know. So people run into one another and say, is he here? No, he's not here. Where is he? So finally, the whole city is milling around and looking for him. And Jesus is off somewhere just going, I love being with you. But he knows the clock is ticking. They're going to find him. Now, he's not worried about food because that's going to come later, if at all. But he hasn't missed the best time of the day. That time when nobody's talking to him. Nobody's asking him, do this, do that. Help me, I need you. He's just with the Father. Now, you know, if you want to try this, if you want to make a deal with God, say, hey, you get me up whenever you want. See what happens. But you know, if he wakes you up, you got to follow through. You can't say, oh, it was the pizza. I'm pretty sure it was the pizza this time. Fluke. See, you got to go for it. Now, you think to yourself, my goodness, this is certainly early, is it not? You know it, and he knows it. But what do you think he would do? What do you think God would do if he took the brakes off and just said, you show yourself to me? Amazing things will happen. And you develop a habit, and you guard this habit, because there's nothing more important than being with the Father. And see, Jesus did this. Now, in Mark chapter 1, it says that Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus. So not just the town, but Simon's looking for him too. He's mystified. He's thinking, wow, he was in my house. He's gone. Ninja. Never heard a board creak. Nothing. So they all try to keep Jesus in Capernaum. Don't leave us. Don't leave us. Who would ever want Jesus to leave? Are you kidding? We'll do anything you want. You'll never lack for anything. If you just stay with us, please. He goes, nope, can't. I have to go to other places because I have been sent. It's bigger than Capernaum. What God has called me to. 
So here, Simon is hearing about the humility of Jesus and the obedience of Jesus. It's not about Jesus. It's about the Father and what he wants. And Jesus says, for this purpose I was sent. I have to follow this up. He might even love to be treated by like a king and get everything, the best. And everybody's, oh, Jesus, this is fabulous. He says, no, I got to go. I got more to do. So Jesus leaves for the other synagogues of Judea, including Galilee. And Simon might think, wow, that was cool. I got to hear him. He stayed in my house. He healed my mother-in-law. I got to see him heal all those people. What an amazing guy. And now how do you feel at the end? Well, it's a bit of a letdown. What have I got to do now? Go out there and fish. Blah. Monday. I miss him already. This is like normal life. How you normal fish? Let's get in the normal boat. Blah. So now, Jesus runs into Simon again on purpose. Chapter 5. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So Jesus is now back in Capernaum, Simon's town. And he's got a whole multitude now following him. It's like this huge herd of people. They just follow him anywhere. And sometimes it gets a little close, like some people get into their minds, well, I want to get a little closer, and they all have the same thought at the same time. 
So there's, there starts this kind of this push, and people get jostled, and it gets kind of close and kind of almost trampoly. Some people get stepped on, and Jesus goes, ah, this isn't going to work. So he solves his problem with these nearby fishing boats that just happen to be there. And he gets into one which happens to be Simon's. And he says, push off a little bit. And now, because that's sort of the limit, I don't think anybody wants to get wet. So they, he's got a little distance now. And the crowd has a natural boundary. And it's kind of like an amphitheater. Now his sound is going to carry, and everybody can hear him, and he sits down because that's what a teacher does. That's the posture for a teacher back then. Nowadays, i got to be the one that stands. But he sits down and begins to teach, Simon is a captive audience. And he's beat, remember, he's fished all night. And he's a little bit grumpy because they didn't catch anything. So it was like scratch, a wasted night. And he's listening to Jesus, and it takes the sting out of it because it is, after all, Jesus. And no man ever spoke like him. So this is pretty cool. But when Jesus is done... Simon's probably thinking, okay, I'm going to get some breakfast and then go to bed. Get some rest. And Jesus says, go out there and let down your nets for a catch. And those are commands. And so now, Simon has to figure out what to do because he does not want to do this. Did everybody get that? This is not convenient to say, Yes, Jesus, I'll do that. What a great idea. Because he also knows there's nothing out there. Wherever the fish are, they're not here. I already proved that. I know this by experience. And yet, as far as Simon is concerned, Jesus is not a guy you say no to. He's come that far. So even though this is a drag, he doesn't want to do it, and he knows there's no fish out there. He does it anyway. And because he listens to Jesus and obeys him, Jesus fills those nets so full they start breaking. And they fill up two boats till they start to sink. They have never gotten a catch like this, right? And so Simon is completely overwhelmed at this revelation of God in Jesus. And again, this isn't the first time, right? So he's seen Jesus when John the Baptist pointed him out. He's seen Jesus at the synagogue, in his house, at his door, and now just preaching. And he called Jesus master in verse 5. Did you notice that? That's a respectful term. 
And he's going to call Jesus master in the future as well. It's still a respectful term. But in verse 8, he calls him Lord, which is how you address God. Jesus is more than an amazing teacher, and he's more than an amazing healer with authority and power. It's crashing in on Simon that Jesus is God. And when you're in the presence of God, you become aware of your unfitness to be in the presence of God. It happens every time. Like Isaiah, he sees the Lord in the temple. He sees the seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The doorposts are shaking with power. Smoke is filling the temple. And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He never figured that out before. But when you're in the presence of God, everything in you that's wrong rises to the surface and says, you have no business being in the presence of God. And there's no place for Simon to go. So he says, get away from me. It's the best thing. Ah, because he's disqualified. And the interesting thing is, Jesus understands him, and he says, just like God, he says, don't be afraid. God says that all the time when he shows up. People go, ah, he goes, don't be afraid. And then he says, from now on, you're going to be catching men. This is also like God. God shows up, says, now you're working for me. He sort of makes him an offer he can't refuse, kind of like the Godfather. He really is God the Father. <laughs> He's making you an offer. He says, you're working for me now. Now, did you hear that sound? That's the sound of Simon's head exploding. There's a mushroom cloud above Capernaum right now. Because Simon is the last guy in the world to work for Jesus. That's what he's thinking. Does everybody get that? But Jesus just said, come. And this is the weird thing. You always feel like, hey, I'm not the one for this. But Jesus says, I want you to follow me. And again, Jesus is not the kind of guy you say no to. You see, all these encounters with Jesus that seemed random, seemed kind of like chance, just by chance it happened and all, is actually part of what Jesus is doing to reveal himself to Peter to come to this point where he says, I want you to follow me. And Jesus planned it that way. And this is the point. 
Jesus is dealing with multitudes at a time, right? But he also focuses on one person. And he says, follow me. And if you look back on your life, you'll think, you know, I have had encounters with Jesus. Times where Jesus was close, and he's saying, I want you to follow me. And even with those of us who have said, yeah, I'll follow you, then he starts making other demands. I don't know how else to put it. He says, now I want you to follow me. Now, it doesn't mean that when we receive Jesus, we drop everything and follow him. Sometimes he wants us to serve him right in the spot where we're at, on this job, in this family, the context where we're at, school. See, he's, he's making demands on us, even now. And some of us, some of you, he's going to say, you know what? I want you to do this. I want you to drop what you're doing and follow me. And right at that time, we can have big objections. Wait a sec. I'm normal. And normal people don't drop everything they're doing and follow you. It doesn't work like that. And I'm not the guy. I don't do that. That sounds like stuff you read in books. And I'm so terribly normal. And you know, we're scared. What will he do with me? Well, what will he do with you? Wouldn't you like to find out? You know, did Simon ever, ever, ever think in his life, oh, I'm going to be an apostle for sure. Ever since I was a kid, I had this apostolic tendency, and I'm just looking for my chance, you know. You can bet it never crossed his mind. And I, I'm reading in Second Peter in my regular reading right now. And I'm reading Peter, and he's putting this epistle together, and I think, man, this guy is a fisherman. And yet, he knows Jesus, did he ever think in a million years that's where he would be? God has a purpose for your life. And you don't know what he's got for you. And some of us think, well, actually, there's not a whole lot of time left. But what do you know? What if God has something for you? I say, ask God for a listening heart. And say, here I am. Here's your servant. What do you got? You don't know what God's going to do with your life. And you say, wait, 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 wait. I'm normal. Don't tell me 
I'm going to have amazing adventures. Again, you don't know. You have no idea what God has for you. In my mind, I think it would be absolutely rotten to miss out. I am actually the wrong person to be a missionary. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I, I, I must have. Yes. I am the most reluctant Boy Scout that ever lived. I hate suffering. I don't know about you, but I hate suffering. I'm not into pain, being tired, and all that stuff. But at a certain point, I kept having these encounters with God, and it led in a direction that I thought, okay, I'll do this. And it meant dropping everything. And I wonder, what is going to happen to me? And I found out the answer. I'm going to keep living. God has all sorts of ways to sustain your life. It doesn't have to include having a job, having a nice house, pick a fence, 2.2 kids, he can do anything. He can send you anywhere. And I think, wouldn't it be just a shame to miss out and say, nah, I like to keep it predictable. I like to keep it stable and certain. And I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. You develop an entirely new comfort zone. I'll tell you that. And the comfort zone is this. Is that God has my heart. And he takes care of my heart. And he's not going to lose my heart. That's the most important part of me right there. Anything else can happen out here. And usually will. But he's not going to lose me. And if you know that, then you can do anything, anything that he wants. And it is really amazing to think you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And you don't think, well, that's just wonderful mysticism there. You know it's true by experience. I think that would be really sad to miss out on that, to be so close to Jesus. And he says, come on, I want to do something really cool. And you go, do I have to? What would happen if you said, yeah, okay, don't kill me. And Jesus says, ah, don't worry about that. Everybody's got to die. Hey, I died. It's not going to hurt you. Isn't that radical? 
you can afford to just lose it for Jesus so that you can find out what's in his mind. What does he have for you? Eternal purpose. I think it's fabulous. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, we don't want to choose which way our life is going to go. Because it would be neat to be with you and to see you do something with our lives that is far beyond anything we could ask. And you're capable of that. We see that so often in Scripture. You take an ordinary person and do extraordinary things with them. And I want to pray for us here that we would not be afraid of anything you have for us. You're able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Well, please do that. And you might be calling somebody right now. You might be asking to say, you know what, I want you to give it all to me. And I, I want to pray for those people right now who are saying, yes, I will do that. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to call, that you would strengthen and encourage. If anybody is thinking like God is just doing that right now, I'll be happy to pray for you if you want to look up at me. And it's okay. All right. Heavenly Father, please bless. Please do exceedingly abundantly beyond. Be glorified in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.